More than 300,000 people in Seattle do not speak English as a first language, and each one has a story. I left home, my country, because religion, persecution. My husband is a pastor at Kuchin Baptist in Burma country. And Burma military soldier arrest my husband on June 6, 2005. Because my husband do ministry of Christ. There are stories of heartbreak and loss and triumph and reunion, but most of all, sacrifice. To be in this country, each of them left behind a life. And even the smartest, most capable individuals have to start over, learning the most basic skills of navigating life in a new world, struggling to provide for their families, and learning a new language. What they could really use as a friend. And that is where the Language Institute comes in. Volunteer teachers and tutors provide English classes and one-on-one -on -one home tutoring to refugees, immigrants, and other internationals in the greater Seattle area. United States America is safety and skill. I like to America. I like American people and then I before I don't know how to speak English, writing very hard for me. So the English ESL class is help worry This is my teacher Megan and uh, Holly and Luke, they all is very nice person. And then many volunteers to teach me. So now I can speak a little English here. I feel incredibly privileged that I get to interact with these students every day. They are vulnerable, but they are strong and they are afraid, but they are really courageous, and they're funny, and they are, I can't believe they're willing to be my friend. <laughs> That's amazing. I think one of the things that I've learned most importantly is their deep appreciation for being in America. If the question is asked, what do you like best about being in America? The most likely answer is being in America. Calvary Chapel South, um, like uh, Pastor John mentioned, we have a number of ways that we've already been partnering um, together, and I just wanted to say thank you for having me here, uh, Pastor John, Pastor Kevin, appreciate the opportunity, and um, I'm going to very briefly talk about world belief, but we're going to get into the word, because there's a, a rich passage I want to talk about, but let's, let's start with the word of prayer. Father God, we believe that each time that we open your word together, that it is a holy, sacred space. And I pray that you would come, that you would anoint the words that I speak this morning, and that you would anoint each ear that hears, that only your words and only what you desire would come through. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, about World Relief, um, real, you can click to the next slide. Real 
Real briefly, our mission statement is simply to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. And we work all around the world, um, but also right here in um, this community. Uh, world Relief Seattle, which is the, the branch in Western Washington, is uh, just down the road on Central Avenue. And our, the most vulnerable people group that we work with are those who are new to the community, um, refugees and immigrants, and especially refugees, those who have had to flee their country due to persecution and violence against them, um, like the woman in the, the video. You can click forward. Um, we do a number of things, um, but literally, we meet refugees when they first arrive here in the country at the airport, help them get settled, uh, try to help them learn English, get a job, that sort of thing. Um, next slide. Um, there's a, a few things that we really desire in this, and I'm just going to point out one, which is, this is a bold dream that we have. Uh, we're not there yet, but our dream is that someday, every single newcomer that arrives in this community would be in a long-term, mutually transformative relationship with someone from the local church. It's quite a, quite a dream to have, but I believe that maybe some of you here in this room this morning are going to be part of fulfilling that dream that God has given us. Um, I think that was click forward. Okay. Um, when I was first hired uh, eight years ago at World Relief, um, one of the first things that I was encouraged to do was simply to look through Scripture and look for um, what does it say about working with foreigners uh, in general and, and also specifically refugees. And um, let me tell you, it is packed full of references. Uh, in fact, just in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word ger, which is uh, translated perhaps as alien or sojourner, foreigner, depending on your translation, that occurs 92 times. And that's not even talking about all of the, the stories, uh, Joseph being sent in slavery down to Egypt, uh, Ruth coming as a foreigner, Jesus himself, again and again, it's just packed full. Well, there's one um, scripture that I came upon during this time that I'd never uh, I'm sure I've, I'd read it, but I never really paid attention to that. And it's um, in Isaiah chapter 16. So that's where we're going to go. Um, Isaiah chapter 16, verses 2 through 5. Let's go ahead and read that together. And I'm going to get my notes organized here. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Isaiah chapter 16, verse 2. Like fluttering birds pushed from the nest, so are the women of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Make up your mind, Moab says. Render a decision. Make your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the fugitives. Do not betray the refugees. Let the Moabite fugitives stay with you. Be their shelter from the destroyer. Because the oppressor will come to an end and destruction will cease, the aggressor will vanish from the land. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it, one from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. I don't know about you, 
Um, I hadn't paid, paid attention to this passage. It's kind of an obscure passage. And to be honest, you'll see as we go through it, there's a few confusing things. It's not entirely clear, but there are some very, very clear principles, not only in working with refugees, but I, I believe indeed in our discipleship within Christ, in, in all of it. So um, the passage starts um, with a vivid description of refugees fleeing from Moab. Like fluttering birds pushed from the nest, so are the women of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Now, before we get into, uh, it's very tempting to want to rush forward to what do we do, but let's take a few moments and, and pause and actually um, consider the scene that we're seeing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's like we can we're, get a window into one moment in history, one um, particular place, just happens to be 2,700 uh, years ago on the other side of the world, but it's a very vivid picture. So um, before we uh, look too um, deep into it, I do want to give you a little bit of context. Next slide, please. Um, where, where is this happening? Well, Moab, as you can see, is um, across the Dead Sea, kind of to the... Um, to the south and to the east of the Dead Sea. Um, Isaiah was, was a prophet of God in, in Jerusalem, which was to the north and to the west of the Dead Sea. So they're neighbors, not right beside each other, but fairly close. And it talks about the fords of the Arnon. Where is that? Well, in, um, we learn actually in Numbers chapter 21 that the Arnon River forms the northern border of Moab. So you'll see up there a river, um, above the, where it says Moab, that's the Arnon River. So that's where it's taking place. So what we, hear, what we see in this, in this uh, passage is that refugees are fleeing out of Moab and they're heading northward in the direction of Judah and Jerusalem. So try to picture this scene in your mind. What do you see? Perhaps there are women um, with uh, children strapped to, to their front, uh, pulling along um, little ones. They're, they're crowding up to a rushing river. Um, there are more coming behind. Maybe it's a steep slope. They're trying to figure out how can they cross safely without, um, without um, drowning. Um, but there's more and more coming behind because they're like fluttering birds thrown from the nest. It's, 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 a, it's a scene of tragedy, a scene of, um, there, there wasn't advance um, planning, advance warning. This is, this is happening in the moment. So as you look at this scene, as you consider it, what, what do you feel? Um, I really appreciated the, the song that the, the worship team um, sang about um, about the, the kingdom of God coming. And the way things are now is not the way it is to be. This is not the scene that we should see on earth. This should happen to no mother. I also think about some, some scenes that I have um, I've heard through stories from refugees. Um, I th- think of the um, scene that... I haven't seen myself, but I've, I've heard from people like the woman in the, in the video about refugees having to flee across the river from the border of uh, Burma into Thailand to get to safety because they've been persecuted because of their Christian faith and their, and, and their ethnicity. Um, a river in the jungle that they've had to cross, even if it's in flood season. 
I also am reminded of a scene in, the, in a, uh, um, a book called What is the What, which is a first-hand account by um, a Sudanese refugee from uh, South Sudan. Um, and uh, there's this haunting scene. It, it, I'll never um, get it out of my mind, where um, these young boys um, who had fled literally for their life because um, their, their families were killed and their siblings were kidnapped to fight in the, in the war. And they've been traveling through the wilderness for hundreds of miles, and then they come to a river. And the river separates them from safety, from getting to the refugee camps across the way in, in Ethiopia. And many of them do not even know how to swim. And there are crocodiles in this river. How do people survive that kind of horrific, horrific situation? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I haven't had to do it myself. But I have met these people. I have met these courageous people who have experienced this scene in Isaiah chapter 16. So I do want to take a, a moment to give a little caveat. I've been comparing situations in the world today with a situation in the Bible, and I think this is an appropriate way to use the Word of God. But I do want to, to say that um, you want to be a little bit careful when you do that, of course. So um, let's say, take human trafficking. Is there stuff in the Word of God about human trafficking? Absolutely. Now, the way that slavery manifested itself in the times and, and, and cultures of the Bible? Is that different than the way it is today when someone is trafficked? Yeah, there are some differences, and we have to respect those differences. Um, as we look at this passage, um, it's a call to action, and I think um, what I saw is that it's, it's an interesting order in this poetic language. It starts with why. Why should we even care? Secondly, it moves on to what? And then, the how. Um, so the why, um, we could, when we go back to um, Isaiah chapter 16, this specific um, case where there are refugees fleeing from Moab, and Isaiah is speaking this, this message in Jerusalem, and a very natural question would be simply, why should we care? <laughs> Moab, aren't they our enemy? They're over there. That's their problem. Well, thank goodness whatever is happening there isn't happening here. Why should we care? Well, if I, say, I would suggest that there are at least uh, two reasons for that. One reason um, is, is first this. Whenever we see our own experiences described in, in Scripture, there's a certain comfort and intimacy that we can feel um, with God. It's one of the ways that God shows his deep love for us. I, um, so I mentioned um, going through Scripture, looking at verses about um, the foreigner and how we are to, to respond to, to newcomers in our community. Again and again, in those scriptures, there's this phrase, remember that you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt, or remember that you yourselves were slaves in Egypt, and I brought you out with a strong arm and an outstretched hand. Remember, remember, remember. So it's a reminder to the people of Israel to put themselves 
into the story of God, to remember their place in it. In fact, in one place, it actually says, you know the heart of the foreigner. It goes to that degree. So I think um, Isaiah's original audience, when he's speaking to the people in Jerusalem and he's saying, hey, I'm bringing this to your attention, that this crisis is happening on the fords of the Arnon across the way. Um, I think that they surely would have thought about their own experience as a people. They're on the shores, this time of the, Dead, or the Red Sea. Who's behind them? The, the armies of Pharaoh. Certain danger, hor- horrifying experience to have armies you know, coming down on you really, really quickly. What's before them? A sea, uncertainty. What's going to happen? They know what it's like, the same feeling as, as these women at the fords of the Arnon. So um, Laura and I, my, my wife Laura, who's here with me, um, we've been uh, involved with a, a Bhutanese um, fellowship for the last um, three and a half years or so. Um, and so there's a, a lot of new believers among the Bhutanese um, refugee community here in Kent, and it's been really exciting to uh, study scripture with them. And um, so on any given day when we, we pull out a, a scripture, it's usually, for many of them in the room, it's the very first time that they've ever heard that story. And this is a really fun thing to be a part of. Um, and so imagine how they feel when they read a story like the story of Jesus and his family. When Herod, in his cruelty, sends the soldiers to kill all of the little boys in, in Bethlehem, and they are warned and flee in the middle of the night down to Egypt. Jesus and his family were refugees, and so the Boot, our Bhutanese brothers and sisters, they, they say, oh, I know what that's like. I know exactly what that feels like. And what a contrast between picture of God in the Bible, who's willing to put himself, humble himself into that place versus the, the Hindu gods and goddesses that they've been taught to believe before. Have you ever had that experience where you see yourself in Scripture? If, if so, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's like the psalmist describes deep, calling to deep, on a deep level, that connection with God. If you haven't, I would encourage you today, let today be your day that you pray that God would show that to you. That he would weave your story into the story of his word. And I, I know, I know for, without a doubt that that's, that's the kind of prayer that our God answers. So that's one thing. We, we, we feel that connection um, with um, God and his word. The other thing I think we can learn about a verse like this, that's just descriptive, it hasn't yet gone on to uh, telling us what to do, is, is uh, this. We can learn something about the very nature of God himself. So I'm not talking about learning with your minds, I'm talking about learning with your heart and your spirit. So even in some of the messy and obscure passages of the Bible, there's, 
there's, I think there's one thing that you can say for sure. Even, even if you're talking to somebody who has a lot of criticism about, ah, I don't know, there's a lot of things I'm not sure if I understand. It seems pretty confusing. I have, I have issues with the Bible. There's one thing you cannot mistake in the Bible. God cares. God cares deeply, deeply about what happens in your life and my life in history. Our God is a God that's involved. He's not on the sidelines. He, he rolls up his sleeves. He gets down and dirty. He is there on the shore of the Red Sea with the Israelites. He's there at the fords of the Arnon. He is there in the midst of the messiness. That is the God that we serve. So we learn something about, about God in, in, these, in these scriptures. And so why? It's actually a very simple answer. Why do we care? Because God cares. Why, why does our heart break? Because God's heart breaks for that. Um, let me see. Do I have time? Yeah, I, I want to share something. As I was preparing this, I had this picture in my mind. I don't know if this is my picture, um, just a hope, or if it is, uh, you know, a, a word for somebody here. But I had this picture that of someone here this morning, a woman from Calvary Chapel South, that would be in relationship with one of our newcomers in the, in the country, a Muslim woman. If that's you, we can introduce you to her. There's a, a lot of them. And that you would be in friendship with them. And along the way, of course, you're going to be doing some practical things, practicing English, learning how to take the bus, that kind of thing. But along the way, I get this picture of you sitting down and reading the book of Ruth together. And just letting the scripture be the scripture. Let the story be the story. Asking her, where do you see yourself in this story? What, what do you think of this? And then you also share how you see yourself. And you're just sharing together over this beautiful story. The story of God. And um, just let that be. Let God's work accomplish its work. And you might be surprised where that will go. So for whatever it's worth, I'm just throwing that out there. Just, a, just the image I had in mind. Um, so um, we talked about the why. Now we're, now we're going to move on to the what. And that's the, uh, the next um, passage um, in verses 3 and 4. So it says, make up your mind, render a decision, make your shadow like night at high noon, hide the fugitives, do not betray the refugees, let the Moabite fugitives stay with you, be their shelter from the destroyer. This, um, by the way, I'm just going to take it, um, assume that w these are words that we are to listen to from God. As you can see, it's, it's put in quotations from Moab. I don't know if that's um, a rhetorical device that Isaiah is using or if this is actually uh, people sent ahead of the refugees from Moab to give this message. Honestly, it doesn't really matter because God can speak through whomever he wants to. And it is clearly 
aligns with the principles of who God is, and, and there's actually a lot of languages that's repeated, in, for example, in Isaiah 25 and elsewhere. So, what is this calling us to? It's this, the, the Hebrew original language here is just, is packed with these little short, urgent statements, these pleas, these commands. Make up your mind. Make your shadow like night. Hide the fugitives. Be, do not betray let them stay. Be a shelter. It's urgent. Well, there are several um, principles in this passage that could be worth exploring. And honestly, this has been the hardest part of preparing this message for you this morning. Is there's, it's so rich. There's so much to share. Um, but I'm going to just pull out one. And if you click forward, you can see, make up your mind. I think this is a, a, a principle that not only in this passage, but elsewhere in the Bible, is, is an important principle. And I'm going to start with um, a, uh, a story illustrating that. Um, so I uh, met a, a refugee named Emmanuel um, from the country of Burundi several years ago. Um, I want to say maybe five or six years ago. And uh, Manuel is a delightful man. He and his family arrived here, and uh, we met them at the airport, took them to a volunteer host home, um, just to give a sense of kind of the, I mean, they came from really remote, um, no experience with uh, modern um, appliances or electricity, even running water at all. Um, and just to give you one little sense of what a surprise all of our, this weird world that we live in was like for them, um, that evening, the volunteers um, very kindly um, offered him some water when they got to his house, and, and he t took a sip, and he looked startled with big eyes down into the glass, and he, and he said through a translator, why do you put hailstones in your water? <laughs> if you've never had electricity, you've never had um, ice before. So that's just an example of, of kind of the, the discovery that he was involved in. Well, several months after Emmanuel arrived with his family, and by the way, um, you might guess with his name, Emmanuel and his family were Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I got a call in the middle of the night, um, maybe one o'clock, I don't even remember. It woke me up. I got a call from someone who knew him and actually heard this information secondhand, and they said, Emmanuel was on his bike, he got hit by a car. That was it. I said, I asked a few more questions. That's all they knew. So here I am, really tired, really confused in the middle of the night, and I start thinking, oh, okay, I don't know, I don't know which, which hospital he's at. I don't, I don't even know if he's in a hospital. I don't know what he needs. I don't, I don't know how to get a hold of him. I don't even, I can't even communicate with him without an interpreter. Well, next thing I knew, it was the morning. I'd fallen asleep in, in my deliberation of trying to figure out what had happened. I just, I just got tired and fell asleep. Well, the next day, um, I did meet with Emmanuel and I heard the story, and it really broke my heart. Um, he, he had been taken to um, the emergency room. Um, fortunately, he was, he was relatively okay, had a few minor injuries, but he was released in the middle of the night. Um, and he had nowhere to go. He sat out in the cold at the bus stop for two or three hours waiting for the first bus to go home. 
I sinned against my brother that night. I could have searched. And in fact, this is, this is the principle. He is my brother in Christ. If it had been my biological brother or sister, you know that I would have done everything I could have to, to, found, to find him, right? I wouldn't have just fallen back asleep and said, oh, I'm sure something will work out. But it, it would have taken me deciding ahead of time that this is how I, I was going to respond. And so that's something I learned that day. I learned, you know, I'm going to respond in situations like this, um, truly believing that whether somebody's from Burundi or Burma or from Seattle, Washington, if they're a brother and sister in Christ, they truly are my brother and sister. Now, I do want to say, I want to give a caveat, every call in the middle of the night, I'm not suggesting that I should respond to. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a difference between being someone's brother or sister and being their savior. Only Jesus is their savior, right? And there's a lot of brothers and sisters, so sometimes it's my turn to respond, and sometimes it's somebody else's turn to respond. But the principle remains the same. So, the, the people in Jerusalem had a choice. They, they, they had gotten an advance warning. They knew that there were refugees heading their way, and they had had a decision to make. And what Isaiah is saying to them, and I believe what God is saying to us, is make up your mind. Decide ahead of time what you will do. And um, don't just take my word for it from a story. We're going to actually look in some scriptures that, that have the same um, principle. For example, if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 24, please. Um, Joshua chapter 24, this is a really, really well-known uh, chapter. It's the end of Joshua's life. He gathers together all of the, the Israelites, and he has a family talk with them. He says, listen, this is the deal. I know you really want to serve those other gods, those gods you left behind in Egypt, those gods you left behind up in Mesopotamia, you have to decide. Don't do a little bit of this messing around, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Today, make your decision. You decide whatever you want to, but me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, that's, that's something you like. It's, you can see this in, a, you know, in probably 20 different um, ways in a Christian bookstore. It's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a passage that's used a lot, and uh, it's, it's really nice. But this is not a church growth passage. This is not a passage that's, that's supposed to make you feel warm and fuzzy. It, this is a make up your mind. The stakes are on the line. This is the line in the sand. Make up your mind today whom you will serve. I should actually read it for you. Now fear the Lord. This is verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Excuse me. We see in here the principle that making a choice often involves cost. Making a choice to follow Christ is costly. If you don't think so, you're either kidding yourself or you're not really following Christ. 
This is, this is just a, a truth in, in Scripture. Let me give you an example. Um, we have some friends in uh, the Bhutanese Fellowship, um, Tech and Lok Maya. Tech actually... Um, uh, last year, gave his testimony on a, on a Wednesday night, an incredible testimony of coming to Christ um, from being uh, a Hindu. They are Brahmin caste. That's the upper caste. It is a cost for them to give that up, to become Christians, to go against everything, everything that they've been taught, to, to associate, to even eat with people that they were told they sh- are dirty, Beneath them, they should never interact with them. So there's a cost, but there's also joy, so much joy. So one, um, I gave an example of one time that I didn't make a choice. Uh, here's an example of a choice that, um, that I have made and I've learned specifically from refugees, and that has, that has to do with hospitality. One thing that um, people from many other parts of the world are so good at is hospitality. And so um, as I started working at World Relief and interacting with people from all over the world, again and again and again, what would happen is, oh, Luke, come in, eat. So I'm dropping off a, you know, a, a, a TV at somebody's house. And they say, no, you can't just leave. You need to come, sit down, eat. It didn't matter what time of day it was. They wanted to feed me. And, you know, I got fed, let me tell you. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a, it's a biblical um, principle as well. So I decided um, that that's something I wanted to adopt. Um, so, uh, a, a decision I wanted to make ahead of time. And so I decided um, in our house, whenever um, someone shows up around dinner time, around meal time, we're going to invite them in. And there's a cost to that because sometimes you don't want them to really come in. You kind of want your quiet meal or whatever. But there's also joy. There's some unexpected moments um, that come through that. And I, I, I could tell you stories about that if you wanted. There's another scripture that um, was, came to mind when I was thinking about um, this deciding ahead of time. And it's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Um, and I get to bring this scripture up because I'm not on payroll here. Um, and so I can encourage you to give. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How can you be cheerful in your giving? Well, part of it is deciding ahead of time. Don't wait till you get here on Sunday morning and then think, Hmm, how much can we spare? Or don't wait until you've calculated all your bills and your, what you want to spend on this and that, and then think, okay, now, now I'm going to try to figure out what I'm giving to the Lord. No, he says, make up your mind ahead of time. I'll give you an example right now. What we're, uh, my beautiful wife, Laura, um, just uh, got a, a part-time job. And uh, she had made a courageous decision to um, quit her previous job to um, pursue a counseling career. And uh, there was a longer gap in between that previous job and this job than what we had hoped. Um, but we had made a decision as a couple early on um, that, that one way that we wanted to give was uh, to, to give a first fruits offering and that first um, paycheck, or if we are ever promoted or anything like that, the, uh, the extra to give an offering from that. Now, when Laura's first paycheck came along, it would be really nice to have that money for other things. Um, 
you know, we're not suffering, but God knows we have expenses. But we had decided ahead of time. So instead, it gets to be this kind of fun thing. She comes to me and she says, Luke, who are we going to give to with our first fruits offering? It's kind of fun, you know? Wow, what an opportunity. You don't usually get that uh, every day. So that, that's, that's another example in Scripture of decide ahead of time. In this case, what you will give. Now, let's go back to the setting in Isaiah chapter 16. It gets more complicated than what we've already described because Moab and Israel are two little tiny nations between two superpowers. Down here we got um, Egypt, where um, we we know all about Egypt. They escaped from Egypt uh, in the past. And then um, all on the horizon up to the north and the east is this growing empire of Assyria um, in the Mesopotamian area. So there's this big power struggle going on. And these little nations are in between. And we don't know why there are refugees fleeing from Moab in this, in this circumstance. It doesn't tell us. Um, but part of it could have been an invasion from outside. It could have been internal struggle. We don't know. But you can imagine for the rulers in Jerusalem, this was a dangerous situation to welcome in refugees from this uh, land across the way. It could disrupt things internally in, in their kingdom. It could get some people pretty upset with them that are a lot more powerful than they are. This is, this is not just a little decision. This is a pretty big problem that they have on their hands. It's complicated. It could be dangerous. It could even be a trap. Because Moab and Israel have not had quite the good history over the, over the years. Um, there's, there's all sorts of stories. There's a great story in Numbers about um, how uh, Moab, the, the, the king of Moab, tries to, to trick uh, the people of Israel and, and hires a, uh, a prophet to, to put curses on them and, and God won't have anything to do with it. And, and he, uh, the prophet, um, and even the prophet's mule, speaks the word of God of blessing. Um, so it... Uh, There's a history between Moab and the people of Israel conquering back and forth. Um, So it's not just in a vacuum. It's in a very complicated situation that this call comes. And yet, nevertheless, hide the fugitives. Do not betray the refugees. But Isaiah, don't you know? these These people are from Moab. Nevertheless, Hide the fugitives. Do not betray the refugees. But Luke, but these people, you know, they don't really know our customs and, 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 and they get in the way. Nevertheless, hide the fugitives. Do not betray the refugees. But, but they don't speak English. Nevertheless, we must decide ahead of time how are we going to respond. So we've talked about the the why, because God cares. So you can click forward. We talked about the what, that, and here's the principle with the what. You can click forward. Oh, I guess I messed up. 
So that you, you'll just have to hear the principle from me. Um, the principle is obedience begins here. It continues in your action, and it also has something to do with your attitude in the midst of it, but obedience begins with a decision. So that's the what. And, and what, let's move on to the, the how. The end of this um, passage, um, the end of uh, verse 4 and verse 5, it, it's a beautiful passage. It's clearly a prophecy about the coming Messiah. The oppressor will come to an end, and destruction will cease. The aggressor will vanish from the land. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it, one from the house of David, one, in who, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. So it is only because we believe these promises to be true about Jesus Christ, it is only because of that that we have both the courage and the clarity to respond. This is the how. The how is we fix our eyes on Jesus. We look at how he does it. So I want to pull out some words if you click forward. Love, faithfulness, and justice. And the Hebrew here is rich. The, um, for example, um, this word um, for love, it's uh, translated in a bunch of different ways in English in various um, passages because it's, it's such a rich um, word. It, it means compassion, loving kindness, steadfast love, mercy, enduring love. Faithfulness is also has a connotation of truth in there. And justice, this word for justice, mishpat in the um, Hebrew, is a very broad term. It's not just a legal term, um, but it talks about the right ordering of all of our relationships. All of our relationships as they should be, as God intended in his kingdom. And it especially has a connotation of right and just treatment of those who are most weak, most vulnerable. The women at the fords of the Arnon. So, we've walked through this prophetic call to action. Why do we do it? Click for. Why do we do it? Because God cares. What? What do we do? Well, one, the pullout for today is simply that a decision is the beginning. Making the decision is the beginning of obedience. And the how, our model, is the coming king whose throne will be established in love, faithfulness, and justice. So I trust that... Um, that each of us have heard something this morning, that God is calling you to something. Maybe, maybe there's something you need to make up your mind about. Decide ahead of time. Don't wait until the midst of, of the decision and it's all complicated. But look to God's word. What does it call you to and make your, up your mind ahead of time? But I also want to say that maybe someone here, maybe you're not in a place where you're, you're ready to make up your mind. 
because you yourself feel kind of like those women on the shore of the, the river Arnon. You feel like a fluttering bird kicked from the nest. Behind you, you have danger. It's, it's creeping in. It's coming down on you. And ahead of you, you don't know what is coming. You haven't yet met this king who reigns in love and faithfulness and justice. If that's you this morning, I want to say that he is on the throne. And he, he's already made his decision. He will welcome you. He will shelter you and hide you from the destroyer. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for dwelling with us. Thank you for being here in our midst. Help, thank you for opening up your word to us. Thank you for your call, God. Thank you for your call to to make up our mind, to decide whom we will serve. I pray that you would give us courage and clarity to do that this morning. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate that.